pray. Lord, this morning, we really, afternoon, we really want you to speak through your word. We pray that you would take uh, things that um, should not be uh, said during the message and you would just scatter them to the wind. And we pray that the things from your word that you want to stick in our hearts this morning would indeed do so and lodge deep and prepare us um, to handle difficult times. Um, whether we're going in one or whether we're coming out of one or uh, whether we are in the middle of one, Lord, we want your name to be glorified because you are glorious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Saturday or Sunday nights, usually on the PBS channel, there's the nature show. And um, you probably, we've, we've all seen the stereotypical nature shows of the African Plains where you have the the, the, the peaceful grass-eating deer or is grazing or it's maybe at the watering hole and then the camera pans out and begins to focus on a lion or another predator, singling out a particular young deer and herd and begins stalking him or her. And as that animal grazes, that big cat is quietly pawing, uh, deliberately lifting one paw after another closer and closer, slowly inching forward toward this aloof young creature that it's got its eyes on, pawing when the creature looks up and chews, and inching forward when the deer puts his head down again for another bite or another swallow uh, of water, and then when it arrives at a close enough distance, it pounces on that young deer, and it grabs it, and it runs off with it, it shakes it, begins dragging it away to devour and tear apart. And one minute... That deer had thought this was like any other day. It was eating away. The next minute, he's being torn into steaks, uh, uh, though he had done nothing wrong besides being at the receiving end of the low end of the food chain here. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you might feel like that young deer, taken unawares, blindsided, just minding your own business, doing ordinary life, expecting life to go on as normal, and a lion bounds out of nowhere and grabs you and starts tearing you into little pieces. Maybe it was an abusive relationship that you entered into not knowing the reality of the darkness that was uh, that was in the abuser. Maybe it was a, a co-worker or a boss uh, who bullied or lied about you and even turned others in the office or the workplace against you. Maybe it was a former close friend or, or family member who through a weird turn of events turned around and grabbed you by the, by the nape of the neck like a young deer in the jaws of a lion and began disassembling everything good you thought you had in place and that you thought you shared together. Or maybe it was the poison of gossip or slander from a brother or sister in your church that wrongly corrupted your reputation with others. Whatever it was. In Psalm 7 today, David pens the song of the slandered saint. The song of the slandered saint. He expresses the thoughts and the heart of one who has been falsely accused. Their reputation dragged through the mud. And he shows the saints for all times the glory of God and what to do when the lion is tearing you to pieces and you don't know where to go. He directs you to the to the great editor-in-chief, so to speak, when you go to the checkout line 
and the headlines of the National Enquirer bear your name. And you'll notice at the beginning here, you see the, the, the heading to this psalm here, the Shagayan of David when he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. That tells us the setting here. Unfortunately, we don't know what that's, what this story is in reference to. There's no reference of this individual, Cush the Benjamite. We know that Saul, the king, was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And therefore, um, a lot of people in the tribe of Benjamin were loyal to Saul. In fact, when Absalom rises up against David, there are a lot of the Benjamites who joined Absalom and saw this, ah, this is our chance to get David out of the way and get someone, uh, you know, Saul and uh, a line, etc. here um, back in power. Shimei, I believe, was one of these. We don't know who Cush the Benjamite was. All we can do is reconstruct from what the Bible says what was going on during that particular um, situation here. And so I'm going to have Brother uh, Wiley, if you would go ahead and read um, <clears throat> um, the uh, the first two verses, please. Uh, either anywhere, yep. Psalm 7, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me, and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. Thank you. The first thing I want you to see here, when you're being torn apart by the lion, number one is you run to God first. You run to God first. You don't run to your to that to that ear that, that you usually spill things out on. You run to God first. Um, notice he says, O oh Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. So understand when you're running to God first, you first of all re- remember that He's your God. He's yours. We saw this last week in Psalm 63. He's yours. And not only that, but the converse is true. You're His. You're His possession. He's your God and you are His possession. O Lord, my God, in Thee do I put my trust, my refuge. And secondly, He's sufficient. He's sufficient. Look at the next verse, uh, part of the verse. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest He tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. So someone who turns to God first understands that this is their only option. God isn't plan B here. He says there's none to deliver. You are helpless. You're, you're, the nape of your neck is, 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 is being held in the jaws of the lion. He's ripping you apart. You don't have enough strength to break away from this. You can't fix this. You can't manipulate other people. You have to run to God first. And David here knows that if God does not rescue him, no one else can, and no one else is going to show up. So he begins this appeal here with a with a clear affirmation of his faith. He says, "The Lord's his God, the one he has taken refuge, the one he trusts in." Here, this figure of taking refuge is the idea of seeking shelter. Have you ever been outside or in the woods or on the boat when it re- the weather really changed and you had to seek shelter? I mean, it's it's priority number one. And if you've been in that situation, you can identify this is how David feels. The storm has blown up. 
and David has to seek shelter. And you know where he's he's not running to hide behind the reed of a human being. He's running to his God, his refuge. Because he's the one that David says he can put his trust in. And he's sufficient. And I, I think about this. Where do you run first? Where do you run first? When pressure comes, when your reputation is slandered, when falsehoods are being born about you, uh, uh, <clears throat> where does your heart go? Do you retreat to go binge on food? Do you go to the couch and try to get your mind distracted with your favorite television show? Do you try to just sweep it under the rug and try to forget about it? Never works, right? That's never going to work. Uh, do you strike out and strike back and get ready in the in the in the in the uh, defensive position to retaliate? Or do you, do you obsess about how you would share a piece of your mind and cut that person down to size? Where do you run? Where do you run? How do you respond? And we all respond in different ways, and some of this is is um, connected to our personalities and our makeup uh, here. But regardless, uh, none of those is the right way. It's the flesh speaking. However, that manifests itself in you. It's the flesh. It's not. It's not the Lord. And 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 we all respond, and our flesh will always want to respond in the wrong way. I was uh, reading something recently here about our military um, uh, training and. Um, <clears throat> Why do you go to boot camp? Why do they send you to boot camp? Why do they put you under those stressful situations? Why is there a point in which they're firing live ammunition over your head? Why do they do that? Because they want you to see what your core values are. They want you to know that when the storm comes, when the stress increases tremendously, what are you going to do? What are the habits? What are the patterns? Where are the ways? What are the ways you're going to respond? And they're building those responses in you. Even... More so, it should be true of the believer that we have a gut response to run to Christ first. To run to our God, our Father first. Run to your God. He's yours. You're, you're His. And He welcomes you to His table. And He's sufficient. Listen, there's no one more sufficient. There's no one more qualified, more capable, more uh, in your helpless state of being torn apart like a young deer in the jaws of the lion than, than the Creator who made this world and the Redeemer, than the one who gave His Son, the Rescuer, the Redeemer, the Savior. He's your strong tower. He's your refuge. You run to Him. You run to Him first. And secondly, Brother Howard, read verse 3 and 4, please. And if you, you could just stand there and turn around, whichever, whatever is easy. 3 and 4. O Lord my God, if I have done this, Here's what's going on here. Secondly, after he runs to the Lord first, secondly, he checks his heart. He checks his heart. He checks his conscience. Paul said in Acts 24.10, I do always exercise myself to have a clean conscience toward God and men. A pure conscience toward God and men. He checks his heart, his conscience. He hands it over to the Lord. This heart is, this is a heart that is just tearing apart and he hands his heart over to the Lord and he says, if I've done this, if there's iniquity in my hands, if, 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 if somehow I'm deserving this, please let me know here. 
David is, is strewn in pieces all over the ground here. And because he has run first to his Lord, he could be vulnerable to the hands of the surgeon. He can say, check my heart, doctor. He can, he can take the heart that's been ripped out of his chest by the enemy and he hands it to the Lord and says, check this, test it. Like he says in Psalm 139, see if there be any wicked way in me. Try me. See. That takes humility, doesn't it? When you're falsely accused or slandered, you probably want to stiffen up and prickle and be, and, and, and justify yourself. And you may be in the right. David seems to be in the right in this particular situation in this psalm here. But do you say, Lord, if I'm missing something, if there's any truth at all in this, show me. Weigh my heart, my motives, my intents, my purposes. That's what David's doing here. Check your heart. Because the truth is that we all know without the Lord, we're doomed sinners, aren't we? And when we become new creations in Christ through the death of the Messiah for our sin and and His resurrection and our new life in Him and His ascension or reigning with Him over sin that creeps in, there can still be unguarded places. Uh, we we are not uh, totally sanctified in this life. We're declared righteous in Christ, but our practice is we're still tempted, aren't we? And we still sin. Sin still, sin still affects us. And do we have the humility that comes with recognizing that we all have leaks in our ships? We all got leaky holes in our ships that need to be exposed because when they are exposed, the Lord can wash those over with His blood. The Lord can strengthen those holes. He can, He can, He can clean us. And so, check your heart. Hand it over to Him. Notice verse 5 there, Brother Howard. Yeah, just 5. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. David here surrendering his assumed rights. You know, we all have these things that we assume we deserve, right? Um, uh, Dr. Daryl Champlin used to say, we have no right because we're bond slaves of Jesus Christ. We don't have rights. Jesus has all the rights. We're his purchased possession. And David surrenders his assumed rights. He says, if there's things that I, that I've contributed to this problem in my life, a strained relationship, uh, if there is um, uh, uh, things that I have done wrongly to this person who wants ill for me, David says, persecute my soul and take me. Take my life. Lord, I'm giving you permission to let him do what needs to be done to me here. Not that God needs his permission. But David's saying, if there's any truth, Lord, then I'm going to accept it on that basis. I'm going to lay my soul bare before the surgeon's knife and I'm going to accept the repercussions. Now you might ask, well, how can you and I do this? Well, we can be vulnerable and open and exposed with the Lord because God the Father allowed His Son to be open and exposed. Think about just the physical position of the cross. Arms wide open, chest extended, hands pinned to the wood of the cross here. Chest naked on the cross. Jesus Christ, our substitute. He, the perfect, innocent one, took our sin and our shameful guilt 
so that we can never be condemned again by our sin. That's the freedom that the Father gives to us as children to check our hearts and to hand them over to Him and surrender our rights. It's on that basis here. And then thirdly, so run run to God first. Check your heart. Thirdly, plead your case. Plead your case. And Brother Howard, I'm going to have you read uh, uh, 6 all the way through... <clears throat> um, All the way through uh, nine, six to nine. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. And awake for me in the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people not be about. Therefore, therefore, the Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, and according to my integrity to begin with. And let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, and establish the just, and the righteous God triumph the heart and rage. Thirdly, David pleads his case. Plead your case. State your request. David here is describing the courtroom scene where you have the supreme court of heaven that is gathered. And imagine this room here. The accuser and the defense are ready to make their case. There's a little buzz of whispers in the air from the crowd that's watching. And then the divine counsel of his warrior angels enter and take their seat. It's quiet in the courtroom. Then the door opens behind the empty seat. That's reserved for the supreme judge, the God of heaven, the judge of all the earth. The judge of the universe, he enters in all his glory and he sits at his reserved seat and he has honor and power and he bends the ear of heaven to hear the injustice done in his creation. And David pleads his case to the judge. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Awake for me to the judgment you've commanded. David here puts the grievance in the judge's hands and he summarizes his plea and then he describes the outcome that he is seeking. That he is asking the Lord. And this is, you know, these Psalms are prayers. These are prayers. And so this is David's prayer. If you had to boil down his request into a couple lines, it's what verse 9 says. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. Apparently, uh, in 1992, there was an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis. He was arrested in Rapid City, South Dakota. And he apparently was somewhat of an honorable robber, if there's such a thing. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which was written this code of honor for him as a thief. He wrote this, number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will rob only at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob mini marts or 7-Eleven stores. Six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. 
Seven, I will rob only seven months out of the year. Eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. He had a sense of morality, right? But is obviously flawed here. He stood by, when he stood before the court, he was not judged by that paper that he had in his wallet. He was judged by the standards of the law. And that's what David's appeal to God is. God, judge by the standards of your law. This is unjust. This is wrong here. And that's David's request. He stated his request. Uh, we're judged by God's perfect law. We're not judged by our own opinions about God's law or our perspective. It's what God says. And so, in your situation of when you're being torn apart by the lions, can you summarize what you wish to see God do? And as you shift your gaze from the situation to the one who can actually do something about it, can you make your appeal then? Can you hand the discerning of hearts the vengeance, uh, the sentencing to the judge of all the earth. He's got perfect 20-20, 360-degree vision, not just in the present, but in the past and the future. He can see perfectly. You and I do a really poor job of punishing people from afar. We end up violating that um, second great commandment uh, many times uh, as much as the person who's wronged us. But, can you trust the judge who walked the span of heaven and earth as the full God and fully man in His Son who lived His whole life, Jesus Christ, lived His whole life unjustly treated and wrongfully crucified to bear your problem, to sympathetically hear your case, to rightly judge to properly execute justice in His time and His way. Is that somebody who can be trusted? And that's why David brings his appeal this way. Don't you think that uh, he can understand and has the skills necessary and can perfectly take care of the situation in his time, in his way? Hasn't he already proven that? He's called the mediator between God and man. He took our biggest problem of sin and he handled it as it needed to be handled. Plead your case to him. And then fourthly, rehearse his ways. Rehearse his ways. Um, Brother Howard, if you would read 10 through 16. My defense is of God. God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turned on, he will get his sword. He has set his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he prevails with iniquity, and he yet conceived mischief. And he, brought, and he has brought forth falsehood. He has made a pit and digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own face. So, fourthly, rehearse <laughs> his ways. You know, when you're around people, you know their ways. 
You can talk about your your parents' ways and the things that they like to do, and customs and their habits and their and the and the uh, the their favorite foods and their. You can recognize their walk from afar. David here is rehearsing God's ways because he knows his God. He knows how God's work. This isn't. It's not something new to him here. He's rehearsing God's ways. He looks first of all at his God's posture toward his children. Notice how it leans into his children. Verse ten: My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judges the righteous. The word "judge" there means he discerns the righteous. There, that word "defense" is a Hebrew word for shield, and it's the idea of of uh, my shield is God. They might be shooting arrows at me. They might be tarnishing my reputation. God's my shield. He's got this. I can trust Him. He's for His children. He's not against us. He's a just God. He protects and delivers His children. And the second way He rehearses His ways is He thinks about God's relationship to sin. So his posture towards sin. In verse 11 through 16, he's angry with the wicked every day. If the wicked doesn't turn, God's going to sharpen his sword. He's got his bow bent, etc. here. The wicked are going to find that what they're doing is going to come back to bite them. It's going to ruin them. We know what the Word of God says. John 3.17 and 18 and 19 tell us, those apart from God are condemned already. Right? They're under His wrath. Romans 1-3 through 3 unpacks. They're insurgents and insurrectionists will in His ways. They're working for the slanderer and the deceiver. And God's anger burns hot against slander. Is what David David's bringing this particular issue and saying, this is sin. And God hates this. God offers them mercy. Notice, if they turn. If they turn. He's sharpening his sword. But he says, if they turn, he's offering them terms of peace. If they turn to him, but if not, then his good character, his love, cannot allow this injustice and this evil to pollute his creation. His sword is being sharpened. Can you hear it? When, when, when wrong and injustice is being done to you, your God's got you. He's got your back. Can you hear the the whetstone upon the blade here? That's our God. He's he's got this here. Uh, the arrow is being fitted into the string of his bow, and he is pulling it back to guide and land at the piercing of the oppressor's hearts. And so, understand this: as God loves the world, at the same time, He is not going to tolerate sin. And the bow of God's anger is against sin here. That's how serious God takes slander and tearing people apart, especially when it's against His children. He's not going to put up with that. And not only is God actively participating against this injustice and sin, look at the rest of the verses. He's going to let the oppressor hang on the very gallows that the oppressor is making for the one he's trying to oppress. He's letting the oppressor hang himself. He's, 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 uh, he, he's saying sin is going to lead to destruction. James talks about this. He says, lust, then sin, and then death. Lust conceives sin, sin conceives death. It's, it's, this, it's this generational line of birth here uh, that he's using as a picture here of what happens when we allow uh, temptations to take hold of us and then practice them and the end result here. And that's what's being pictured here. That He said it's like birthing evil. 
that the oppressor is travailing in labor. He's laboring hard to birth his plot. And the baby is born. And the baby that's produced grips his own ankles and pulls him into the pit. And they reap what they planted here in these verses. I heard about a story here from uh, February. A man in uh, Maryland by the name of Robert Milehammer, 51 years old. He was out hunting with three others, uh, bird hunting. And they noticed a flock of Canadian geese that were flying overhead. And from their blind, one of the members of the group fired a shot that, of course, struck one of the birds. And the trajectory of that goose that was shot as it plummeted down landed right on Milehammer's head, his face. It left him injuries to his face and head, and he lost teeth. So here's the plot to shoot the birds, and the birds are the ones that end up injuring him, right? And it's it's humorous, but that's actually how sin works. Really is. That's how that's what happens. And it's sometimes it's right away and sometimes it's down the line, but that's what sin always does. It always comes back to burn us, to bite us, to hit us in the face here. Um I heard about a, a lady uh here as well named Alice Pike. And Alice Pike went to Walmart. She tried to pay for her Walmart purchases with a $1 million bill. There really isn't a $1 million bill, so you might say, well, what was she thinking? Well, she was obviously not thinking. Uh, the U.S. Treasury doesn't make a bank note with that many zeros. Um, I'm not sure how high they go. 100, right? Or is there a 1,000? I've never seen a thousand, by the way, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay. No, uh, but, but, uh, she went to the register. She had $1,675 worth of merchandise. She hands in this $1 million bill. And what's amazing is that she expected change. <laughs> Think about the change she should have received, right? Nine hundred ninety-eight thousand three hundred and twenty. Nine hundred eight. Yeah, nine hundred ninety-eight thousand three hundred twenty-five dollars. All right. Did, I mean, you got What was she thinking? She, was she thinking the cashier was gonna get on the loudspeaker, right, and say we need tens and twenties on aisle five here? I mean, did she even bring a vehicle big enough to handle her purchases? It's irrational, isn't it? It's stupid. It's so stupid. And sin doesn't make sense if you really think about the end game. We lie and we expect good results. We're overindulged in this and expect everything to be better. Take what isn't ours and expect satisfaction. Refuse to resist the devil and expect peace, right? Act selfishly and expect better relationships. Ignore repentance and expect forgiveness. We hand over a fake million dollar bill and we're expecting change. It's ridiculous. But brothers and sisters, in this passage, and that's, that's how the oppressed was thinking, right? The, the people who were slandering and tearing apart David, they weren't thinking long term, were they? But in this life, we have to play the long game. The long game. We have to have our eyes on eternity. We have to rest in God's promise to turn evil on its head. And where has this happened most expressly? At the cross, right? The cross. This, this paradox here, so to speak, here of, of, of something that seemed evil that God uses 
for good, right? Uh, that death blow to sin, that death of the cross where God took the plots of evil as that serpent reared up and bit the Son of God in the heel and that heel stamped the head of the serpent to the ground and ground it into the dirt. That's the assurance right there that evil done against you and I will be resolved. It will be resolved. Um, what God did with evil at the cross and the tomb and what God will do with evil when He comes back in the person of His Son is He will end it. It will end. And always end in destruction. This week there was on the news a story of a pastor who served with uh, Greg Laurie out in California who was 30 years old and, and took his took his life here out of in depression left a family and wife and few kids and I was reading about another father who lost his son this father was a pastor and he lost his son who committed suicide and he wrote this under the stress of losing his son he wrote this We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And he read that verse in Romans 8, and he he, he said this. He was struggling. He said this. I cannot make my son's suicide fit into this passage, he said. It's impossible for me to see how anything good can come out of it. Yet, I realize that I only see in part... I only know in part. And Clint, working for BIW, and maybe some <clears throat> some of you in the past have worked for BIW, and think about the miracle of building those huge steel ships. Think about it. He said, almost every part of our great ocean-going vessels are made of steel. If you can take any single part, be it a steel plate out of the hole, or the huge rudder and throw it to the ocean, it's going to sink. Steel doesn't float. But when the shipbuilders are finished, when the last plate has been riveted in place, then that mass steel ship is virtually unsinkable. Taken by itself, my son's suicide is senseless. Throw it into the sea of Romans 8.28, and it sinks by itself. Still, I believe that when the eternal shipbuilder has finally finished, when God has worked out His perfect design, even this senseless tragedy will somehow work to our eternal good. Has purpose. Has purpose here. And finally, number five, worship your holy king. Last verse. Worship your holy king. Notice what it says here. According to his righteousness. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Worship him according to his righteousness. And then secondly, worship him according to his reigning eternal position. And we'll sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Most high. So let's bring it. Close. Wrap this up here. So when you are grazing on the prairie or drinking at the water hole and whatever lion that you didn't see coming comes by and grabs you in his jaws and and begins tearing you apart, look at Psalm 7 
And number one, run to God first. Number two, check your heart. Number three, plead your case. Number four, rehearse His ways. And number five, worship your King. Worship your King. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for what You have done to make these things possible. David can speak to You in this way because he has been made a child. David can speak to You this way because he has a relationship because of Your covenant with him, because of Your mercy that You showed. And Lord, I pray that we would never move on from the joy of our salvation. And Lord, when the situations come, remember to run to You first and go from there. And at the end, in this life or the next, we'd be able to worship You as our Holy King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.